with the best brand of football in Idaho, this is the 8-Man Prep Cast on IdahoSports.com. Hey, that's right. Welcome in. It is uh, an on-location edition of the Idaho 8-Man Prep Cast on IdahoSports.com. Brandon Bainey with the coach, Lane Kirkland, and uh, the baseball coach, Will Henneke. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Good to be here. You're welcome. So you might be wondering, where the heck am I? I've got this deco art behind me. I've got the broadcast headset on, a little bit of a funky look. I feel like one of those like uh, uh, hard political internet commentators. It's got the you know quasi-studio. I'm on the road, guys. I'm in East Idaho this week in Idaho Falls uh, to broadcast the Tiger Grizz cross-country invitational tomorrow on idahosports.com uh, myself and paul kingsbury and, and logan green are gonna call the races there's uh six varsity races tomorrow featuring some 1a schools grace chalice butte county etc uh and then i'll be here in east idaho to do a football game and paul and logan are actually going to go to arco for butte county and camas county and we'll talk about that game uh, a little bit later on so yeah we're all in east idaho this week we're on the road but the show must go on so Let's start in like kitchen. we always do. You're in, in your kitchen. kitchen. Yeah, you might be able to Lane. see my cereal up there. <laughs> Lane, you're the only one who's got a consistent spot here. You're in I'm your in my day job still. Yeah, day job, killing it. <laughs> Unfortunately, you don't get paid overtime uh, for being yeah. at school after hours. <laughs> well, sure. speaking of overtime, speaking of overtime, our game of the week involved multiple overtimes. It was Dietrich and Rockland battling to a triple overtime affair. Dietrich pulls out the win 56 to 50. Will, I mean, this is an obvious choice for game of the week, right? Three OTs and a wild shootout. Yeah, we seem to like these these OT games. And it was, uh, you know, if you like those, and it's never a mono mono game, but when you look at stat lines, you see on one side for Rockland, you got Teak Matthews going bananas. On the other side for Dietrich, you got Connor Perkins going bananas. And you know, the, the the mental image I think most people have of eight-man football, and Coach, you can answer this better than any of us, is 56-50, you know, up and down, big plays, explosive plays, just a lot of fun and a lot of craziness, and, and that's what we saw in that game. Yeah, you just got to keep uh, got to keep believing in those games. And uh, I, I talked to Brody Estelle just a little bit about that game, and they were down 30 to nothing. And uh, he said, we just had to realize that we weren't – we just can't step on the field with this Dietrich uniform and think we're going to win. We got to get busy, and uh, that's what they did, and uh, were able to pull that off late in the late in the game. Said it came down to a fourth down, the catch by a younger younger player to uh, when they were still two scores down to keep things going. Otherwise, it's game over for uh, Dietrich. Yeah, when you're down 30 points, you are you have to be perfect offensively to to make that comeback. And when you told me that. Uh, Lane, I was floored. I was like, boy, they were down 30 nothing. I didn't know that part. What was the largest deficit you ever had in your time at Kerry where you came back and won? Uh, it's, it's probably in the 20s, mid-20s somewhere, I suppose. Yeah, so 30 is like nearly impossible, right? 30 is like, hey, we got this in the bag kind of kind of <laughs> feeling, but uh, you, ne- you never want to doubt that. <laughs> Yeah, and well, once the teams got to overtime, uh, the play was like, okay, Connor Perkins, run it in from ten yards out, right? That's what yeah. the three plays were in overtime. Yep, three. They had three possessions. They ran three plays. He ran it all three times. Three rushes, thirty yards, three touchdowns, and that takes a lot of stress out when you score on first down in overtime and put the ball back in the other team's hands and say, okay, you know, now either you got to match it or you got to beat it. One of the two, but. Uh, you know, that's a young man who was an all-conference player last year. He knows what he's doing with the ball in his hands, and it sure is nice when you can take one of those kids and maybe he's been playing another position, and then you just move him under center and say, okay, now it's your turn. And, uh, you know, it's, he's he's had a heck of a start to the season for that, for that Dietrich team. Yeah, I think they call that the Cody Power special. Just take the snap and take off and run. <laughs> yeah, him and Bridger Hatch, those are the two that probably most <laughs> famous for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Perkins, 218 yards passing, three touchdowns through the air, uh, also rushed for 143 yards and two touchdowns. And and then he also had six tackles and an interception on defense as well, so getting it done on both sides. Um, Teague Matthews for Rockland, four passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, eight tackles defensively, so your two leaders really leading the charge. And for Rockland now, they're a tough luck 0-2 against two very good teams. I think, Will the more I see of Rockland, the more I'm like, yeah, this is the team that's going to be the favorite in the Rocky mountain conference. I think it's going to be interesting when they play Mackie North gem to me is just, and we had them on Idaho sports last week against Hagerman. And we'll kind of transition into that game. North gem fell 46 to 12 North gem to me just doesn't have the depth they'll, 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 they'll compete, but when they go up against better, deeper teams, they're really going to struggle. Yeah. When you get into October and you get into the fourth quarter in October, and, and, you know, as of last week, you know, Coach Hatch telling me he only had nine kids on his roster. You know, you're one twisted ankle away from literally not having a sub. And, uh, you know, you get deep into a season and you've got everybody's banged up and everybody's bruised up. It's really, really tough to to compete. And I have no doubt that that that, that team, that that Cowboy team is going to come out and they're going to give – you know, every last drop of energy that they have, they're going to compete and they're going to make it tough on some teams. But, but I tend to agree with you, Brandon, and that Rockland looks like, you know, when you get into the league portion of it, get the non-conference out of the way. If, if they're healthy going into league play, I think that they're maybe a half step up. Mackey could be a wild card. They've played well so far. I'm interested to see what they do as, as the schedule uh, starts to turn later into September as well. Yeah, and then on the Hagerman side of things, Coach, uh, Hagerman led 16-0 at halftime in this game against North Gem. It was on IdahoSports.com, and they were facing some adversity. Wyatt Mavencamp, their starting quarterback, he leaves with a shoulder injury. So like so many eight-man teams do, they said, all right, we're going to take our best athlete, Kai Kendall. We're going to put him at quarterback and, and let him fly. And um, they kind of leaned on the ground game early. Wyatt Hoskovec scored a pair of touchdowns, but then Kai Kendall – Started getting into a rhythm, completed a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, what a luxury it is to where your starting QB gets hurt. You put an athlete in like Kai Kendall, and uh, the offense doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, that says a lot about the, the depth that they have and the confidence that they have in the, in those rotation of players just filling those empty spots. And uh, starting with the ground game, you got to go basic and then get a feel for it and uh, find those passing uh, routes and those guys open and it sounds like uh, that's exactly what they did so um Hagerman's still rolling yeah, my well. brother my brother's a coach and he said that one of the things whenever they would have to do that starting quarterback gets hurt and you got to move the receiver out and you need to put him at quarterback or whatever it may be the first thing you want to do is make sure they can get the snap so that first drive might be as vanilla as vanilla can be because you just want to make sure that the kid that's coming in can remember the play, communi communicate the play, receive the snap, and then execute the play. And, okay, he's got a couple under his belt now. Now we can try to fly a little bit. Exactly. How how often is that the plan, Coach, where QB1 goes down and you're like, all right, we're just going to put our best. We don't really have a QB2, but we are, we're just taking our best athlete and we're going to put him there. That's it's difficult. Uh, you really – don't prepare much for that sometimes uh, unless you have a JV program and you can, you can put that guy in there and, and make things happen. But uh, oftentimes there's a, there's a, a player that's got some skill. And like uh, Will said, get in the snap. You got to get the snap or the play doesn't start. And uh, once you get that first one, the second one going, then uh, maybe you can get in a rhythm and, and just start to all over again with new guys. Yeah, so Kai Kendall played well. Uh, and then Martin Gonzalez also really impressed me going back and watching the film. Um, that guy's got some speed in the open field. He scored on a couple of long touchdown runs. Uh, so Martin Gonzalez for uh, Hagerman also really impressed me there. Um, North Gem scored on a touchdown run from Craig Yost. And then at the very end of the game, high snap. We were just talking about it. Got to get that snap. North Gem recovers it in the end zone for their other touchdown at the very end of the game. Um, okay, staying in that District 4 uh, Sawtooth Conference, Camas County. 
We talked about they beat Rockland last week. Now they were playing Garden Valley, a Garden Valley team that had just beaten Dietrich. Mushers leave no doubt here. 50-12, to 12, the win over Garden Valley. But again, a quarterback injury coach where Tacoma Kelly, Garden Valley's dynamic do-everything player, he had a, a receiving touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and a passing touchdown two weeks ago. Well, he gets hurt, and that really took the wind out of Garden Valley's sails a little bit. Yeah, that's tough, and especially going into Camas uh, during a day game and uh, knowing that uh, Camas is pretty hungry, that, that's going to take a toll on Garden Valley, uh, as it did, and uh, a key player, you know. Um, I remember when uh, Kobe was hurt in a game that we played. It, it took the wind out of their sails for a little while so they could rally to the end. But uh, once again, they, they survived, got 12 points on the board, but a solid Camas team Great performance and very hungry, and uh, everybody's contributing, it looks like, behind uh, Troy Smith, who's, who seems to dominate the game and do it very well on the ground. Yeah, he really sets the tone on offense and defense for the Mushers. I was going to ask you about that. You brought up a good point, the day game, right? Because Camas County doesn't have lights, so they kick off at typically 3.30. Rockland doesn't have lights. Garden Valley, I don't think, has lights, so they might be used to it, but as a coach that's coming from a program that's used to seven o'clock kickoffs, how tough is it to adjust for those, you know, Friday afternoon games? Uh, I, I hate those three o'clock games. And usually their field is hard as a rock at some of those uh, times. It just seems like it's harder when it's hotter outside and it's cooler and, and softer in the, in the evening, but uh, it's, it's a different mindset. It's not practice. You better be ready to roll. And, and get off the bus in a hurry and, and get performing right away because it's, it's 3.30 game time. So. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that played into the Dietrich slow start at Rockland, a, a team that's used to kicking off, uh, you know, in the afternoon. It's, it's an interesting point for sure. Um, so the question, I guess, moving forward, Will, for the long pin conference, councils looked pretty good. We still think Garden Valley is good, but without Tacoma Kelly, I think that changes the complexion a little bit. And then Horseshoe Bend and Cascade have both, you know, played really well too. What do we make of this long pin conference? Will? Yeah, and I think Tri Valley is a pretty good team as well. They certainly have the speed to make life difficult on a lot of people. So uh, the question to, to be answered may be just, you know, is Tacoma Kelly, you know, is is he fine going forward? You know. You can come back into a game and play, you know, a half a game and then aggravate the injury in practice the next week. And now you're down for a month. It's hard to say, you know, his health could be, uh, you know, an X factor for the entire conference. You look around that conference, Cascades off to a nice start. Uh, you mentioned Horseshoe Bend with with uh, Kalen Jones. He's off to an incredible start. Council's a very good program. Tri-Valley is so dang fast. It just, I don't. You know, I just I don't know that there's a whole lot separating the the, the pack, if you will. Um, and, you know, an injury or two could change the could change the dynamic in in uh, in total, really. And as far as you're getting three teams in, you know, on one hand, you know, you could wake up Friday morning feeling like you're going to be the number one seed and you could go to bed Friday night wondering if you're going to be the three seed based on, uh, you know, somebody who just took a. Uh, you know, an inadvertent helmet to the ribs or something like that. And it's that's the the hard part of of, of small school eight man football. If, if you don't have the numbers and you don't have the depth, things can change really fast. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating as we get into conference play and actually start to see these teams duke it out uh, for sure. All right, let's pivot to the next biggest story. It was probably the biggest story. It wasn't the most compelling game, but the battle in Boise. What an opportunity for Kendrick and Oakley to play on the blue turf at Albertson Stadium on the campus of Boise State University. Coach Kirkland, I know you were sneaking peeks at this game on IdahoSports.com. What did you think? Uh, I, I thought it was a competitive game. Great first half, back and forth, uh, showcasing each uh, each kid and the diversity of their offenses and uh, good stops on defense. Um, it's always fun to play on the blue. I got to coach there one time, and it, it's a blast. There's some electricity just being there in that stadium. Uh, I think both those teams had a good time the, the first half, and uh, Kendrick seemed to make adjustments the second half and really get after it on defense and uh, to slow the Hornets down in that second half, putting a lot of pressure on Robinson and breaking some plays up and uh, and was able to to, to roll and, and shut Oakley out for a half, which is hard to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah make it sound like with, uh, uh, and not you, Coach, but just in general, it's like, oh, Kendrick, 
you know, another easy win, one by three touchdowns, no big deal. I mean, let's remember, this is the three-time 1A Division One state champion. This isn't, you know, you didn't beat up on some, you know, St. Mary's Sisters of the Poor here. You took it to a heck of a program in that second half, and Kendrick was – they were phenomenal. I mean, we know that Oakley is a fantastic team, and even Oakley walked out of that game going, man, those Kendrick kids are big, they're strong, and they're tough. And, and that's, you know, for Oakley, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna reap the rewards down the stretch from playing this game because you're going to have seen as good as you're going to see. You're going to know here's what the top of the – Here's what the top of the ladder looks like. And you're going to know what you're going to have to do to beat a team like that. So even though even though Oakley ultimately loses the game, they made some plays. Bryce Severe, Isaac Cranny, you know, they made some plays. They did some good things. That coaching staff will be able to go back and build off that uh, for the next time that they run into a, a potential buzzsaw candidate or opponent, I should say. Yeah, Bryce Severe returns the opening kickoff of the game, 84 yards for a touchdown. Got the battle in Boise started off really nicely. Kyler Robinson threw a long uh, pair of touchdowns, 43-yarder to Severe, 65-yarder to Cooper Beck. Um, and they led at halftime, 22-16. to 16, And then they got shut out 22-0 in the second half. Uh, IdahoSports.com player of the game, Ty Kep, 188 yards, three touchdowns in the air. He also rushed for 110 yards and two scores, and then Hunter Taylor had a 36-yard pick six going back the other way. But those words you just said, Will, uh, we do a Magic Valley prep cast every week where we talk just District 4 athletics, and that's eight-man football, 11-man volleyball, cross-country, everything in the Magic Valley. And Scott Burton, uh, our host of that prep cast, actually talked to Brennan Jones, the Oakley head football coach, about the loss. And um, Coach Jones told him the same things you just said. That was a big team we ran into. And we got to get back to discovering and finding our toughness and our physicality because that's what Oakley's been known for the last several years is we're going to come at you 110 miles an hour, and you're going to feel it when we hit you. And um, I think they're going to be in a rediscovering process as they try to find that again. But I'm confident they will. And that's the thing that really impressed me. And coach, you can speak to this as well, because I know you were watching the game also, especially in the second half. Take out the kick return, take out the long pass to Beck, take out the basically take out the scoring plays. Kendrick did a phenomenal job limiting Oakley. Oakley wasn't gashing him. Oakley wasn't picking up huge chunks. That Kendrick defense, other than you know, one special teams play and, and two really well executed plays by Oakley. That Kendrick defense, we can talk about the offense all day long, justifiably so. But that defense, that was the thing I was really impressed with watching that game. Correct. Yeah, they've really stepped it up uh, over the last few years and, and gained a lot of pride in having a great defense. Uh, uh, compliments to the coaching staff. I, I played those guys three years in a row, and they got us the third time. And they got better and better every game and just up their game. The coaches and the players improved, and I think they're riding really high right now, and they look very impressive. Yeah, so that was a great win for Kendrick. They are 2-0, and and for Oakley, you know, they're going to be just fine. Um, that was a really fun game to watch. It was a good, another good week for uh, District 4 and that Snake River Conference. You had Lighthouse Christian win a, a shootout with Grace, 34-28. to The Lions are now 2-0. and Justice Schrader, 350 yards, five touchdowns passing. Case Van Leeuwen, who's kind of the backup quarterback, uh, but he was also a phenomenal wide receiver, caught eight passes for 219 yards and two touchdowns. And Jack DeYoung had five catches for 98 yards and two scores. And he also had DeYoung 14 tackles on defense. So, Coach Kirkland, you saw Grace play carry two weeks ago. What did you learn from this lighthouse win over the Grizzlies? They're, they're prepared. Um, I think... Uh, Coach, coach got them going, and uh, there were some a lot of skill left over from that last year's team. They were young, and they were pretty good size, and the speed was good. And uh, it seems like they got things going, and they're rallying. Uh, maybe Justin Schrader is the Tom Brady of the of the Snake River Conference. I don't know. That's a lot of yards, man. That's uh, great, great completions, a lot of good receivers, a lot of options um, to be able to connect to all those guys out there and. Uh, I'm sure they're still running the same lighthouse spread that they have before and uh, and getting very effective with it. And, and Schrader, I hear, is a great scrambler. So making things happen. 
I was I was really shocked by that score. Yeah. And DeYoung feels like he's been there for I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to hear he was about 34 years old. I mean, it feels like he's been playing there for for decades and decades. And granted, he's a senior this year, but we've just been talking about him being an, an effective and productive football player for that program for so long that it just feels longer than it's really been. Yeah, that's one of those names that you've heard there for a really long time. He's, he's played basketball. He's done track. Yeah, uh, he is uh, wrapping up what's been a fine career um, at Lighthouse Christian. Uh, Murtaugh, we talked about this game with Hanson, the battle for the wagon wheel. Uh, Murtaugh claims it again, 48 nothing shutout over Hanson. Uh, I think we said last week, Will, didn't you say it was a decade? A long winning streak yeah. here for 2012 Murtaugh? was the last time Hanson had won it, and now they're going to have to wait a little bit longer. And what I didn't realize until I went to research this game a little bit earlier this week is it, it was over at halftime because of the weather. So, you know, Murtaugh, that's a game where Murtaugh, you know, they did what they did essentially in two quarters. And Junior Benitez, another big game, Oscar Alberto, who's a, a young man who uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with him, but I, I wrote it down here. Uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. You know, through two games, seven tackles for losses and three sacks. You know, well, one and a half game, really, because they didn't even play uh, the full game against Hanson the other night. But, uh, you know, Murtaugh gets to, to hold on to that wheel for another year, and deservedly so. They played, it looks like, a heck of a football game. Yeah, I got to do Murtaugh last year. They played Lighthouse Christian in the first round of the playoffs, and I was broadcasting that game. And coming in, I had kind of heard, uh, you know, Murtaugh's defense is really good. Reagan Fitzpatrick is kind of the guy. And I was like, okay. And then as I watched the game, you know, Reagan Fitzpatrick was great, but I, I noticed Alberto last year as a junior. And I said, this guy is good. He's not getting much pub. He doesn't get much praise, but Oscar Alberto is a true menace on that defensive line. Uh, did he give you problems last year at Cary, coach Kirkland? It, there's always tough guys on Murtaugh. Yeah. They gave us a real good run for two to three quarters. And, uh, just tough, big guys, physical, filling holes and uh, making great tackles. So, yeah, there there's some good players uh, at Murtaugh, and I, I expect them to do well this season, and they're off and rolling. Yeah, I'm glad to see Junior Benitez back at it, too, after he missed most of last season with an injury, uh, for sure. And then uh, Valley picked up a big win over Wilder, their first of the year, 42-6. to Um 33-yard touchdown pass from Josh Hardy to Pedro Robles got it started, and then the ball kind of got rolling from there. Uh, Coach Kirkland, it was weird. Valley had to take this, like, two-year journey up to 11-man football. They had to play in the 2A Canyon Conference, and then they moved back down to eight-man, and I was like, this just this feels right. It's it's nice to see Valley picking up a little steam. Yeah, it was, it was good to have them in the eight-man ranks uh, for all those years, and now they're back. And uh, it does feel right. They're great competitors in the Magic Valley and Snake River Conference. And uh, I think they're com going to compete well with those young kids growing up a little bit more and getting some uh, some reps underneath them. And uh, I think they're going to continue to improve as the season goes on. I wonder well, how many of those teams, uh, when they see Valley and they see Josh Hardy out there doing great things, I wonder how many of them are getting PTSD thinking about his brother Jason <laughs> who was the classification 1A Division I State Player of the Year back in, what, probably 2018. I think he scored somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 touchdowns, and he was one of those kids that, you know, 5'8", 150 pounds, so what? He was going to go run for 200 yards and five scores anyway. Um, and so, yeah, it's great to see Valley back up, and they knew it was going to be a year or two to kind of uh, reset things a little bit, and last year was a bit of a challenge for him, but uh, this year they seem to be doing a little bit better and, and wilder. Uh, you know, now they're the ones that are trying to reset. We mentioned uh, Isaac Rodriguez out for the year with an injury in week one. Julian Neary out with an injury last week. They're not sure. He, they don't think he's going to be out for the year, but he'll be out for a while. Um, Kevin Gephardt, the quarterback who missed all of last season with an injury, he still hasn't been cleared to play yet. Uh, so they're they're down to like their third string quarterback. And they had a game we record on Thursday nights. They had a game tonight up in Weipe against Timberline and and Coach Bailey, the Wilder coach, said, I'm starting five freshmen. And and he's like, it may hurt a little bit for, you know, the next couple of months, but you know, a year or two down the line, uh, they really think that that they're gonna they're gonna sow some really good fruit from that tree from what they're going through this year. And and you mentioned Timberline Weipe, uh their all state running back Rylan West is out. He he broke his collarbone, I think. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, and that changes their dynamic. So now they're yeah. freshmen, Corbin uh, Christofferson, who was just going to be turning and handing off a lot. Now you're going to be asking him to do a heck of a lot more too. So uh, it, 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 the scene shifts very quickly in this game. Yeah, coach. That's, these early that's too many. That's too many injuries to a lot of guys this early in the year. That's that's, that's too too bad. Yeah, it is. It's it's uh, deflating a little bit, but the old mantra, next man up. So um, yeah. we'll continue to monitor those. All right, let's dive into what's actually happening this week uh, in terms of big matchups. Of course, we're going to have, I think, the best eight-man game of the week right here on IdahoSports.com Friday night, and we sent our very best. Paul Kingsbury and Logan Green will be on the call. It is the Butte County Pirates hosting the Camas County Mushers in Arco. A pair of two and O teams, coach. You know these programs well. Who do you give the edge to? Our <laughs> going into Pirate Land. Uh, it'll it'll be a battle over there. Um, I, I think that uh, both teams are really hungry. and want to prove something. I think both teams are alike in in a lot of ways, and that they're they're tough. They're nasty. They're dirty. They're great football players. They're going to give everything they got, and I think it's going to be very competitive. And a lot of fun to watch that game. But, uh, I think Camus is, uh, has got the edge this week um, and hungry to, uh, to continue their run. You know, it's funny. We had number one versus number one last week. And I think you could argue, I don't know if it's statistically the case in terms of the actual polls, but this could be number two against number two this week. And that I don't think, I mean, I think sometimes there's a mindset that it's division one against division two, all Butte County is going to destroy them or whatever. Um, I don't, the gap obviously isn't that big in the fact that Kendrick has beaten Oakley two years in a row now. And um, you know, you look at that Camus team, you're talking about seven returning skill players on offense for an eight man team. That's amazing. And one of them's Troy Smith. When it's all said and done, that's a guy that's going to have a chance to challenge Ty Kep when we're talking about state player of the year awards, but then you flip over to that other side and, and coach, you know, you probably had some nightmares about this in the past, Sam Thorngren over there. It feels like all he ever has is about 18 different running backs capable of running for 200 yards in any given game. And I don't think this year's any different. So, and it's, it's totally cliche, um, but it's, I think somebody's, it's going to be who wins the line of scrimmage. Um, if if Camus is able to slow down that cadre of running backs that they seem to grow on trees in Arco, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. But at the same time, if if Butte is able to bottle up Troy Smith a little bit and force them to, instead of go through him to run the offense, kind of go around him to run the offense, then, then Butte County is going to have a good shot to pick up the W. This should be a hell of a football game. I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, that'll be a 7 o'clock kickoff on IdahoSports.com. And Butte County's quarterback, another addition to the all-name team, Razor Duke. I love it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. We got, True so we got, pirate right there. Yes. Well, they had Rebel Beard last year. Yeah. So they have some of the best names in eight-man football over there. I sure. do. I, I want us by the end of the year to have an all-name team. You know, eight-man football, eight of the best names. We've got Crash Taylor from Castle Ford in yep. already. Razor Duke from Butte County. We'll take your nominations. You can send them to uh, Brandon at IdahoSports.com. We'll get the all-name team back up and running this year in uh, eight-man football. Um, okay, more big games to talk about, though. We've got conference play finally starting in some of these leagues, including in District 4, 1A D1, the uh, Snake River Conference, where Rap River had a bye last week. They're 1-0. They're going to travel to Lighthouse, which is 2-0. These these two teams uh, were picked basically second and third in our preseason coaches poll. So, Coach Kirkland, uh, we're going to find out pretty quick how this league shakes out. For sure. Yeah, that'll be a, an interesting matchup to see what uh, Rap River can bring to the table uh, against the tough Lighthouse team at home. And uh, are on the road, I should say, at Lighthouse and uh, on that fast turf. Oh, we'll see what uh, how this plays out. I, I expect it to be a kind of a high-scoring game. Uh, I think both teams have potent offenses and great coaching staffs. Um, uh, I really like the coaching staff at Raptor. They've they've done some great things, and they they find weaknesses and plays and and uh, draw some schemes in which they can score. So we'll see what uh, both uh, teams bring to the table at Lighthouse Christian. 
Yeah, well, last year when these teams played, Rap River got out of there with or defended home field with a 30-26 to 26 win. It was a very close game, and I'm sure Lighthouse is very motivated to, to finish the job this time. I'm sure they remember last year, they being Lighthouse, that just incredible gauntlet of games they had to run against, you know, Raft and Oakley and Carey. And, you know, it's felt like they were playing the Green Bay Packers every Friday night. And the the role is flipped a little bit this year in that I think that that Lighthouse is probably the team with a little bit of an edge. But the one thing I don't think Raft is ever going to be, and I think this is a reflection of, of their coach, I don't think they're going to walk onto a football field and be in awe or intimidated. You know, Chad Evans is just going to be like, hey, let's just go out and buckle it up and play. And I think his players reflect that, and that's what I think they're going to do. I learned my lesson with Raft River last year. They were pretty banged up going into the playoffs. Uh, I was broadcasting their uh, quarterfinal game against Clearwater Valley. And uh, I, I said on this very show, I said, I don't know. I kind of like the Rams going on the road. Raft River's a little banged up. I'll go with the upset pick. Boy, did I hear it from the fans <laughs> when I got there to do the game. But it was all in good fun. So I'm going to go Raft River here, Coach. Play it safe. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Lighthouse just because it's home field advantage. And I think they're on a roll and uh, they have a lot of, a lot of uh, skill players that got like a lot of speed. There we go. Will, you got to break the tie. You go I, the I, think I'm with, I think I'm with coach on this one. Okay. That sounds good. I'll, I'll, uh, I, I, and like I always say with my predictions, I'll wear it if I'm wrong. I, I'll be happy to be wrong. So uh, it'll be a fun game for sure. Also uh, in the Snake River Conference, Murtaugh 2-0 at Oakley, 1-1. One and one. Okay, we keep talking about the Red Devils as this team that's lurking. Well, <laughs> here you go. You get the top dog right out of the gate, Will, in Oakley. And, and that's going to be a tough matchup because, A, Oakley's pretty good, and, B, Oakley's going to be a little bit mad after what happened last Friday. And, uh, you know, Murtaugh's going to go in there. And again, they're not going to go in there and just shirk and, and, and turtle, as the old expression from hockey goes, is, you know, you're not just going to do one of these and just let Oakley hit you over and over again. But they're going to need to they're going to need to stem that first. Um, I mean, coach, what would you say in football? It is about a five or six minute. You don't want to let things get away from you early. Just kind of survive that first wave and. And then just see what happens. You know, I, I think they got a chance to compete, but uh, I, I wouldn't want to face Oakley the, after what happened to them last week. It's it's always tough facing teams that lose that are uh, good and they're coming into that next game. Uh, there is a lot of a lot of anger, a lot of uh, regret, a lot of we got to fix this thing right now, and we're going to start with this next team up and get after it. But uh, if Martok can get off the bus quick. And hang on, maybe get a stop that first drive. Um, I think they'll they'll make a better game of it, a good game of it, and uh, maybe they can gain some confidence and and see and push Oakley to the brink. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Oh. Yeah, should be a fun game for sure. I wanted to highlight one more game in District Four. This wasn't on the rundown, guys, but then uh, we got a message on social media from Savannah, and uh, she wanted to uh, she wanted us to highlight. Glens Ferry and Valley. We talked about last week, you know, rivalries and trophies. We talked about Murtaugh and Hanson playing for the wagon wheel. Well, Glens Ferry and Valley play for the Stanley trophy. And Savannah was kind enough to write in kind of the history and the backstory. So I wanted to share it here. It's, it's a little long, but it's, it's a good story. So she says, it's not just two old rivals. The two schools have a rivalry dating back decades. That much is true. But the trophy comes from another place. The trophy dates back to the 1992 football season and is named in honor of Lynn and Kathy Stanley, who died in a car accident on Interstate 84 outside of Glens Ferry. The Stanley family has ties to both communities. So after the accident, community leaders got together and came up with the trophy as a way to honor the Stanleys and what they meant to both communities. To this day, the winner of the Glens Ferry Valley football game gets to keep the Stanley trophy until the other team can win the game and take it back. Glens Ferry defeated Valley last year, 32 to 18. So the trophy currently belongs to the pilots. Lynn, who actually grew up near Hazleton and Eden and attended Valley High School, is largely credited with starting the youth football program in Glens Ferry. Lynn coached the teams and Kathy attended the games, volunteering and leading the 4-H program in Glens Ferry while leading one of the top hay companies in the state. 
Then on April 13th, 1992, Lynn and Kathy were headed to Boise to close on a new home the family was building, heading up the Hammett grade on Interstate 84. The Stanleys were involved in an accident that took their lives. Chester and his older sister, Amy, were taken in by Lynn's parents following the accident and graduated from Valley High School. Both continued to live in Idaho with families of their own. She says, she concludes, the trophy isn't just a thing. It isn't a marketing gimmick. It's a reminder, a reminder of a family who contributed heartily to two communities. Thank you, Savannah, for sharing that. I personally did not know this backstory, uh, Coach Kirkland, but this is what we're aiming for, these incredible stories from our small communities. Right. There's a lot There's a lot of things that bring communities together, and uh, that, that's a really cool story with the Stanley family. And uh, uh Great recognition for that. That should be a good game and an honor to to bring that trophy, whoever wins it. And that yeah, should well, really this be is... a tough game. I mean, this Valley team is on the upswing, and Glens Ferry has almost everyone back from last year, and they've looked good in the early going too. So uh, that's that's going to be it. That's going to be a good matchup. And if I'm not mistaken, the game is down in Valley this year, correct? Down at Hazelton. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, that that. Uh, that should be a fun environment. That should be a good football game. Yes. So I'm glad we it got is, to talk it is about Hazel. it a little. Yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about it a little. Yeah. Yes, and that's what we're looking for. You can you can send you can send me info about your favorite team, uh, rivalries, stories. This is what we're here for to to shine the spotlight uh, on these incredible communities and incredible programs. You can always send me an email, Brandon at idahosports.com and we'll we'll share it on the air so thank you savannah for sending that in and yeah i'm looking forward to it uh valley hosting glens ferry and which should be a fun game as well also up in the white pine league gentlemen 1a d1 uh we've got uh Kamii, who started their season off with a romp over lapway 52 to 8 taking on logos who defeated clearwater valley 34 to 20 so logos is 2 and 0 Kamii's 1 and 0 they're both 1 and 0 in the league this is an early season game, Will, that we could look back on at the end of the year and go, yep, that was the one that decided the White Pine League title. Absolutely. And you want to talk about contrast and styles. You've got, you know, Jack Driscoll dropping back and winging it all over the field for Logos. And then you go over to the other side. You got a fantastic quarterback for Kamii, too, and David Clute. But he's got this slew of running backs with Everett Oatman and uh, Colton O'Kane and Colton, Colton Weddle. I'm sorry. You know, you've got all those weapons there. You got one team that's going to try and push you down the field. And you got another team that's going to try and throw it right back. And, uh, you know, that's a game that should be really entertaining, a lot of fun to go to. And I do, I think you're right. I think when we get to, you know, about a month from now, when we're starting to project ahead, we're going to look back at this game and say, this game propelled one of these teams forward to potentially a pretty special season. Yeah, Coach Kirkland, I got to see the Logos offense for the first time with my own eyes last week. I'd seen him on film a little bit, but watching it in person, have you have you uh, been able to watch this offense at all that Logos runs? I haven't. I haven't. I just see him at track, and they run pretty fast. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm yeah, sure no, this it's... game will be a, be a game of tradition versus the new kids on the block. Uh, what do you, What did you see? Yeah, so so Logos, the the mantra they've kind of adopted is we've been known as a basketball and running school, but we want to put football on the map. It's only their third year as a varsity program, and what they do is they have the three offensive linemen, the guards are off the line of scrimmage, and then they have four wide receivers, and the slot receivers are on the line of scrimmage, and then they'll shift. The two slot receivers will go off the line. The guards will come up on the line and they'll send one of those slot guys in motion. And from there, they'll run an option where Jack Driscoll, the quarterback, sometimes hands off. Sometimes he play action passes. And sometimes they don't send a guy in motion and they just quick snap it. And Driscoll takes off and runs because you have to respect the four receivers, which opens the box up for an athlete like Driscoll. And to make things even more confusing, coach, is the slot backs are wearing numbers like 52 and 55. And so you look at them and you're like, Oh, that's an O lineman. And then it's like, Oh no, that, that's a running back. That's also <laughs> really good in the open field. Um, it's kind of an interesting offense. It's something I haven't seen. Yeah. Well, well uh, I guess we'll continue to watch that. Sometimes you spread it out too much, you get pressure off the edges and people figure that out. But uh, if they have good blocking and Driscoll's a, uh, a light-footed guy. I'm, I'm sure that it's working for him, and uh, we'll see if, uh, if if it works against Cameo. 
Yeah, definitely a contrast in styles, like Will said, and that Kamii defense is very tough. Also in the White Pine League, 1-8-D1, we've got Prairie and Potlatch. They both opened their seasons with wins last Friday night. Uh, both started the campaign 1-0. Uh, and oh. uh, Will, this is another battle where, I mean, every week in the White Pine, there's going to be tough games. We said coming into the season, you know, really outside of Genesee, who's got you know, low numbers. Um, any of the seven are capable of winning on any given night. This is going to be an important one between Prairie and Potlatch. Yeah, I talked to Justin Podravsky, the head coach at Genesee earlier this week, and he said, yeah, we've, we're really young. I think he said they have 17 players on the roster and like 13 of them are either freshmen or sophomores, and that's just tough to overcome no matter what classification you're in if you're leaning that much on young players. But then you go – Anywhere else in the anywhere else in the league, whether you're looking at Potlatch, whether you're looking at Prairie, uh, Trenton Lawrence, the you know there's just there's experience and talent across the board, and uh, I think the difference, you know, you throw Clearwater Valley in that mix, they're a team with with Bass Myers and and Schilling and Pickering, you know, all these teams have playmakers, and there's not a ton that separates them, so that's where you get into some of those things, Coach. We hear you guys talk about you know, hidden yardage and stealing a possession and, uh, you know, turnover battles and stuff like that. And I think that's where it comes in because I, I just, I don't know talent wise that there's a ton separating some of these teams. Right. And, uh, and you just hope that you can make those big plays. You hope you catch that your, your guy catches that long pass when he's wide open and gets that score for you, or you break that one tackle that uh, they get you that other score, and, and that could separate these teams that may be pretty balanced uh, and even on, on each side of the ball. Yeah, I think in general, statewide, people have forgotten forgotten about Prairie a little bit. They didn't make the playoffs last year, probably should have, but um, I think Prairie is a very good team and, and sneakily flying under the radar. So we'll keep an eye on that. And then the last game I wanted to highlight, gentlemen, uh, or the last two games I wanted to highlight are at the 1-8-D-2 level. We're getting the, more of this District 3, District 4 cross-pollination. We talked about Garden Valley came in and conquered Dietrich, and then Camus defended the conference by conquering Garden Valley. Well, Wolverines are going to line up again, this time to play Castleford. Uh, Garden Valley might as well become a member of District 4 at this point, right, Coach Kirkland? Hey, they've played a lot more games recently in recent years down here at District 4 and uh, and got themselves out of, out of that District 3 to play a, four, a more variety of teams. And I think that's benefited them. And, uh, yeah, it, they'll give them some good experience. And uh, Castle Ford, see what they can do. Is that game in Garden Valley? Yeah, it tomorrow is. After Friday afternoon, yep. Should be at home, so uh, – We'll see if uh, the next next man up from Garden Valley can take uh, Tacoma's spot and continue to lead the charge there and uh, and rally and get a get a win column get a win in the column there. So, yeah, yeah one of those patented three o'clock kickoffs. Will and we talked about it. This is a Castle Ford team that's young, right? They got a lot of freshmen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do in their first road game of their varsity career. Well, they've got a heck of a lead horse in uh, Jamie Ramos. Man, that kid's a heck of a football player and. Anytime you have a bell cow like that that you can lean on, not only offensively but defensively, uh, he's going to give you a chance. And, and, you know, he's shown, if nothing else, or they've shown, I should say, that, um, you know, we the, there's the joking reports of their demise have been greatly exaggerated. I think there were a lot of people that were wondering after they graduated, what was it, eight out of 12 players off of last year's roster? Uh, I think that, you know, we I don't know that we can say it, absolutely ironclad okay they're going to win the conference or anything like that but i think um anyone who expected them to just fall into the abyss i think you're going to have to reevaluate your opinion now how far they've come um for both them and garden valley i think we're going to learn a lot by by seeing that game and seeing how it's played and what the two teams are able to accomplish and and of course what the final score winds up being uh, it'll be an interesting non-con game for sure. And then while Garden Valley is off on their District 4 tour here, we have an actual long pin game, Council at Horseshoe Bend. This will be another uh, 3.30 or 3 o'clock kickoff, Coach Kirkland, one of those early afternoon games. But uh, we talked about over in District 3, uh, there's a lot of teams lining up to take those three playoff spots. This will be a huge game right out of the shoots between Council and Horseshoe Bend. Yeah, once again, two good uh, programs that have been around uh, a while and are on the rise and competing well with good players. 
a little bit of depth and, and coaching staffs with great experience. So I, I think it'll be a good matchup. And once again, I think it's going to come down to turnovers, that turnover battle and uh, making sure you convert those fourth downs. And uh, I expect it to be a tightly matched game. Should be fun. Both those teams have two of the better lead running backs in 1A Division Two, and Dalton Bingham on one side and Kalen Jones on the other. And Kalen Jones, young man, uh, you know, he's a senior and he's played three games and he's averaging about four touchdowns per game. So, you know, you, there's some some big time playmakers on both sides uh, of the field uh, in Horseshoe Bend tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, Council beat Lewis County last week, fifty to nothing. Lewis County was missing one of their, you know, key mm -hmm. playmakers on offense, and so the injury, unfortunately, injuries continue to be a storyline here early in the season. But I was impressed with the way Council not only ran the ball but also were able to to sling it downfield. I think they're pretty versatile attack there with Coach Andy Glenn and his Lumberjacks. So yeah, that's just a sampling of the games that are going to be happening uh, this Friday night uh, or Friday evening uh, across the great state of Idaho. Of course, we'll have uh, Butte County hosting Camas County for you on idahosports.com. And don't forget to check back on Friday night uh, during all the games for the Friday night flash. That's our interactive uh, in real time updating scoreboard. Um, we update scores as we get them from across the state. Uh, and then, of course, once the game goes final, we try to get those scores as quickly as we can. Uh, before we got out of here, gentlemen, I did want to mention just some legislative stuff that happened this week where Essentially all summer, uh, a committee uh, has been working on potentially reclassifying Idaho's uh, classifications, you know, 5A, 4A, 3A. Um, and the committee worked on this uh, new system that would change the enrollment parameters, uh, tweak, you know, the requirements uh, for each classification and basically do away with 1A, D1 and 1A, D2. Uh, and that proposal ultimately failed on the second reading by the IHSAA board, but this little known bylaw was enacted this week where the state superintendents uh, can use this bylaw to basically overrule the IHSAA board. And so out of 152 schools, 100 voted, yes, we want these changes. So they kind of superseded the board's decision, which means these classification changes will be happening, starting with the 2024 football season. Now, in the eight-man game, it doesn't really affect things too much. I know there's some confusion over, okay, are they going to make 1AD1 and 1AD2 one big league again? And that's what 1A is? No. What was previously known as 1AD2 will now be referred to as 1A. What was previously known as 1AD1 will now be referred to as 2A. So Coach Kirkland, we're still going to have two separate classifications, uh, or two separate levels of eight-man football. We're just going to have to get used to 2A and 1A. Right. And uh, and that that's a cool way to go about it. Uh, I, I think it's still exciting that there are two two levels of eight-man football. I think that 2A level um, is, is uh, a great thing. They, most of those programs have full JV programs as well. And every kid gets to play. I think if we went to an 11-man setting, it may be a little different scenario. So I, I really like the eight-man promotion there. Had this continued through in the in the calling at 2A, um, the number 89 for the smaller schools is a decent number. It's a change. It's upped a little bit. It used to be 99, and now it's 89. Um, still some competitive schools in that league, and uh, it should lead to uh, some some more great championships for both levels there in the 2A and the 1A. Yep. And Will, in terms of, you know, who's moving up, who's moving down, a lot of these schools were moving up regardless or moving down regardless. I think I think the one change that does happen at the 1A, 2A level was Clark Fork now is going to be a 2A instead of a 1A, but they already combined for one league in football anyway. So it doesn't even affect Clark Fork in football necessarily. No, a lot of the, from what I've been hearing and reading and seeing, a lot of the hand wringing is over the adjustments in numbers and um, you know, there are some schools and, and justifiably so they're worried about they're now getting bumped into a league where they're going to be playing schools almost twice their size or uh, something of that ilk. And, and, and the problem is, is just with the number of schools we have in Idaho, that feels somewhat inevitable. No matter what you try and do, wherever you try, it's going to take an incredibly, you know, you're going to have to thread one hell of a needle to find that line 
where you have good competitive balance and at the same time you have a good balance as far as schools where you don't have like four teams in one classification and 30 in another and and an example would be here in in the community that i call home parma um parma their athletic department will go from the smallest 3a football program in idaho what is currently known as 3a so they'll bump down under the new classification and they'll be one of the biggest in the new 3a in the league with marsing and new plymouth and whatnot so all you know you change that line and all of a sudden parma goes from this tiny little engine that could to now all of a sudden they're the big boys and you know you talked about clark fork brandon and some of these schools in the 1a where you're not you're not seeing as much movement because that line already exists like coach kirkland already talked about so you're not having to see as much of uh you know grace and their 150 kids taking on rockland and their 38 kids you're not seeing as much of that as is in the 2a and 1a so I think you're insulated a little bit in that smaller classification, but that seems to be that seems to be where I'm seeing a lot of the hand wringing. And coach, you know, you're much more plugged into the community, coaching community than I am in that regard. But uh, so maybe you're hearing something different. But that seems to be the pushback that I'm hearing there is that some people are just not liking that they're getting bumped into different classifications that are going to make it harder, trickier, easier. Insert your adjective here. Yeah, there's there's always uh, discontent uh, when numbers change and classifications change. And that's just uh, that's just how it goes here in Idaho, and we just have to adapt and survive. <clears throat> um, you know, we're one of the smallest, and Carrie's one of the smallest in the D1 right now by just a couple couple uh, students, and then we'll be dropping back down next year. But uh, it, it's a, a positive change. Uh, I think uh, moving forward, I think there'll be some good things come out of it. Um, I've always been a, a fan of the number 99 uh, back in 03 and 04. I was asked by the Sawtooth Conference to uh, go to the board and get two divisions of eight-man football and represented uh, the Sawtooth Conference and made a lot of calls around the state, took it to the board a couple times. We failed the first time like 10 to four. And uh, then we got our superintendent involved and a few other people and went back to the board again the next year and rallied and were able to, uh, to get two divisions of eight man football passed. And, uh, and that's kind of how it all began um, back in the day. And, and here we are with uh, six classifications now. So it's evolving and uh, we're still playing football. It's important. That's right. It wasn't quite Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but it was Mr. Kirkland goes to Boise. <laughs> that was the sequel. Right. We tried. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, if you want more details on how that's going to affect, you know, 5A all the way down to 182, uh, we have a story about it on the homepage at idahosports.com. So uh, yeah, that'll do it for this edition of the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast. Uh, as you're listening to this on Friday morning, don't forget we've got cross-country for you starting at 12 o'clock Mountain Time. There are going to be some 1A athletes running in, in, in some of these uh, varsity races, so you'll want to check it out. And then, of course, Butte County and Camas County tomorrow night at 7 o'clock right here on idahosports.com. But thanks for tuning in to the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast, everybody, for Coach Lane Kirkland and Will Henneke. I'm Brandon Bainey, and we'll see you next time on idahosports.com.